Welcome to Money Grows on Trees. Money does grow on trees. A podcast full of practical, real-life money lessons that you wish you learned in school. Lloyd is a former lawyer turned lifestyle entrepreneur. In each episode, he'll be answering the tough questions around money, investing, and entrepreneurship to help you transform your money mindset and move you closer to achieving your financial goals. Now, let the class begin. Here's your host, Lloyd Ross. Oh, welcome back to the show. <laughs> Money Grows on Trees podcast. My name's Lloyd Ross, and this episode is titled The Psychology of Investing. The Psychology of Investing. And the detail of it is I'm going to talk you through the seven psychological biases of investing. Okay, so I'm going to talk to you about the biases that happen in your mind when you're investing that can get you into deep water. What, deep water? Deep trouble and hot water, okay? So uh, it's just interesting because when it comes to investing, what you want to do is you want to find out where you're going to die or basically lose money and you want to not go there, okay? So Warren Buffett's business partner, Charlie Munger, says, I really want to know where I'm going to die so I never go to those places. And that's what this is about. It's about explaining to you what tricks your mind plays on you when you're investing so that when you understand them and you're aware of them, you can actually become a far better investor, okay? So these seven biases are really gonna help you. So I wanna go through each one, give you some personal examples of that, and hopefully equip you to make sure you know uh, exactly how to avoid death with your investing, okay? So here we go. All right, I just frightened the dogs with uh, <laughs> with that big introduction there, so that's funny. All right, so let's go. Uh, first, first bias is called confirmation bias, and this is very common. We all suffer from this bias, and this is where you've made an investment, and then once you've made the investment, you go and then look for information that confirms your decision. And you only look for information that confirms your decision. Now, that you're trying to get like encouragement. Did I make the right decision? You're just gonna go and look at all these positive articles or research reports about, hey, this is a really good decision, well done. <laughs> the problem with confirmation bias is that it only gives you the good stuff, and it only supports your position. It only supports your idea. And if you're a really astute, diligent investor, what you wanna do is look for other reports and research articles and information that actually goes against your decision so that you actually understand both sides of the coin of your investment, okay? So for example, when I bought a stock uh, in, to, in COVID uh, in the travel sector, Went and bought this uh, position because the whole world just, you know, collapsed <laughs> with COVID. Bought this stock and then I noticed myself just looking for articles that confirmed that that idea. And then I was like, you know what? This is this is confirmation bias. I need to go and look at, uh, at other reports that actually shoot down my idea. That give me the other side of it, the bear case for this investment. So I started looking at that. And what's cool about that is when you understand you know, the downside or what, why that's not a good idea, you, you start to really weigh up the the balance of probabilities of whether you're right or not. And so I started to look at it, I'm like, you know what, that's bad, that's bad. Eh, I think I think the positive outweighs the negative in terms of the upside was better than the downside. Like the downside was there, but I thought it would be able to weather it. And so that allows you, by, by going against confirmation bias and looking at, you know, the, the, the alternative case of your idea, you get to become a better investor because you're also protecting your downside. You're protecting your risk, okay? You're, you're, you're understanding really what you're doing and whether or not there's really a risk of losing all your money is what you want to look for, right? 
So there you go. Always look at the other side of the coin of your investment decision too. So you know both sides, right? This is exactly why lawyers look at the defense and the prosecution cases both the same way so they know exactly what's going to come at them the other side. Because whenever you make an investment, there's always someone selling, right? There's always someone else on the other side of your investment selling. So you, you ask yourself, why are they selling? That's a really good question to ask actually in investing. Why is this investor selling this asset now? And that will help you overcome confirmation bias. All right, the second bias is called regret aversion bias, okay? Regret aversion bias. So you're averting regret. So you're actually, to, to make it simple for you, what it means is fear of making a mistake. You're like, you know what? I might regret this decision if I invest here, so I'm not gonna invest. The problem with this bias is that you're so fearful of making an error, putting a foot wrong, that you don't make any investments. And this is really common. This is what prevents people even setting up a micro-investing app or even buying their first shares or buying their first property or whatever it is. They're like, they've got this fear of regret an aversion to the regret. They're like, oh, what if I make a mistake? The biggest mistake you can make is doing nothing. Like there's always a cost. There's always a cost to every decision. There's a cost of you not making an investing decision. That cost is actually quite phenomenal. That's a really big cost because the cost of you not compounding your capital now, you're gonna pay a hefty price for that in the next 30 years, huge price, right? It's worth millions of dollars by not actually taking action. So I guess understanding that, um, you know, people quite often, uh, I was talking to someone recently and I said, what's your greatest fear? He said, well, I'm, my fear is I make an investment or with or you know, put my money to work and I lose everything. I'm like, well, what's everything? <laughs> you know, because what, what have you really got to lose? And I said, well, I could lose that. I'm like, well, is that everything? No, it's not really. So it's just asking good questions of yourself to really understand, you know, what is it you're really scared of, right? Because for me personally, the fear of, the, the fear of not, being wealthy, like it, it, it's more painful for me. So I'm like, you know, what? it's easy for me to make investing decisions. It's simple. So that's a important one to be to understand. Like, what are you afraid of? Because if you're just afraid of losing everything, but you get to age 65 and you have nothing, what are you actually afraid of now? Because you, your your greatest fear is all is is already has already come true. <laughs> so um, that's that's number two. Number three is called the disposition effect or disposition bias. Okay. And this is where investors, they keep their losers too long and they sell their winners too early. Okay, they keep their losers too long and sell their winners too early. So I see this a lot happening where, let's say someone's bought um, you know, a stock or real estate, whatever the asset might be, and it's gone up. And this happened a lot with the crypto space. You know, you, you hear it a lot with the crypto space, but it's where people get a rise in their, their, their asset goes up and they sell. They're like, you know what, I made some money, I'm out. And that's it. But then they run into this problem where they've still got the cash. And like, well, now what do I do with the cash? <laughs> and they really haven't understood that that asset would actually continue to rise over time and they've sold it too early. So you see this happens when they don't understand what they've actually bought. This is where it happens mostly, which is why understanding what property is worth, what stocks are worth, you can't value crypto. So it's hard to say what that's worth. But you know, it seems to me that you always talk to someone who says, oh, if I had just held my crypto for another year, I would have made a billion dollars, whatever it might be. And that's because they, they, they suffer from disposition bias. They're only selling because it went up. And conversely, it happens the same way where if someone buys an asset like a share or property, whatever it is, and it goes down and they haven't understood what it is, what's caused it to fall, they haven't understood, understood what they've actually bought and they keep it for too long and they keep their losers too long. So this happens more more so in stocks where if if you have an investment in stocks, 
right? And there's a material change in the business. Like I'll give you a great example. Foot Locker recently, that 70% of their stock, is shoes, I mean, is Nike, right? So if you own Foot Locker stocks recently in the last few days, Nike has said, hey, we're pulling all of our Nike shoes from Foot Locker. Now that's a massive change in the Foot Locker business. That's a big problem. That is a big problem that they may not be able to solve. And all of a sudden, if your stocks have gone down, people who suffer from disposition bias are like, oh, I'm just going to hold it because it's going to come back. Well, if you understand the business, that's a pretty material, massive change to the business. And if that happened to me, I would sell. And I rarely sell. But if the business has changed or the actual asset, the property or something has material changed to make that thing worth a lot less, then you'd want to not suffer from um, disposition bias and actually sell that loser sooner. And you've got to cop it. You've got to... I've done that before I've sold. I'm like, you know what? I, you don't ever have to make your money back the same way you lost it. <laughs> I learned that once. And so that's where sometimes it's it's good to sell to take a loss because you know that the future is actually going to be better because of it. So anyway, look, that's disposition bias. So um, helps to understand that. I, I did that once where I bought um, IBM. I copycatted Warren Buffett. I knew exactly what I was doing. Like I understood the business. I understood the financials. It was pretty good. But... I, it was a mistake. It was just a mistake for Warren. It was a mistake for me. Um, and I sold it and I took a small loss. But that was where I understood like, you know, so things have changed here and you move on, right? You can't ever not make mistakes investing, by the way. So don't ever expect, this is where the regret aversion bias comes into it that I spoke to about before. You're never going to come into a, you, you're going to have some experience where you're going to have a loss, okay? But but for all the losses you take on any investments, be it in property, shares, whatever, you're going to make a lot. Okay, so I think it's it's called experience, right? So number four is recency bias. This is massive. Recency bias is a huge psychological bias in investing. It happens all the time. So recency bias is where something's recently happened and it feels like it's going to happen again. And a great example of this is the GFC. So in 2008, you know, Bear Stearns collapses, Lehman Brothers goes broke, the whole world credit market dries up and the whole world pretty well stops financially. Um, massive, very bad. And so people are very frightened, right? The stock market took an absolute pizzling. It dropped by 50% and 60%. It was a huge drop. Second largest drop, I think, in recorded history outside the 1929-32 stock market collapse and depression. But so this happens, right? Now, all of a sudden, what happens is people don't want to invest anymore. So in 2009, 2010, and probably 2011, there's this recency bias that's happening to all these investors who have like, they're too scared to put their money to work in the stock market because they fear that the thing that happened recently, which is the GFC, is going to happen again. Okay, now that's recency bias. And of course, the best time to buy stocks arguably in history was after the GFC. Statistically looking at it, it was one of the greatest opportunities ever to buy stocks. So... Those that suffer from recency bias didn't touch it because they got burned and they didn't want to go back. Um, and I think this is huge. This is a, a very common bias. It prevents people investing ever again after those things. But also the recency bias on the top side where something's actually had a run-up, they think it's going to repeat. And the biggest and greatest example of recency bias that I've seen is in cryptocurrency. It's in Bitcoin, specifically in Bitcoin, where Bitcoin had this massive run-up, like in, incredible returns, like massive, this... The huge bubbles is like, boof, just made a ton of people rich. But the thing is, by the time that's happened, it's kind of too late. And so these people have come in to try and say, oh, crypto is the new future. I'm like, hey, that's recency bias because you've seen it recently happen. You think it's going to happen again. But economically, I find it very, very unlikely 
that Bitcoin is going to replace broad-based currencies. You know what I mean? So recency bias can get people in hot water and it's what creates a lot of this trend bias that I'll talk about in a second. So that's number four. Number five, okay, which is a very common one, happens all the time. You'll, you'll have probably experienced this one yourself. This is called familiarity bias, or another word for it is home-based bias. And it's where you only invest in things that you understand because it's familiar. And that doesn't make it a good investment, <laughs> okay? Not necessarily. And I'll give you two examples. The first example you'll see this happen is when someone, well, I'll give you three examples. The first example is when you own shares in a company and it happens to be the company you work for. <laughs> That's the only shares you own because you work for the company. You're like, oh, it's familiar. I know the company. and But it could be a dreadful investment. You never know, right? So um, that's the first example. The second example happens a lot in property, where if I ask, you know, if someone says, "Oh, we bought a, we bought an amazing property investment. It's a, one of the best investments ever. You should see this investment. It's such a great investment. The best investment ever. It's going to kill it. It's going to be amazing." I'm like, "Oh, where's the house you bought? Like, oh, next door. <laughs> next door. It just happened. The best investment in the world in property happens to have happened next door to us, right? What's the chances? So that's because it's familiar. They, they, you know, people understand the block." It's there, you know, it's they're suffering from familiarity bias. Um, yeah, so not not always a bad thing. I mean, if you understand it, that's a one good thing about it is you do have some level of understanding, I would hope. But the question is, is that particular investment the greatest investment you can put your money in today looking at all the opportunities in the world right now? Is that next door block the best property investment you can make possibly in the whole world right now? And the chances are no. It's just that you haven't done any more uh, research because you're suffering from home-based bias or familiarity bias. This is another reason why a lot of people only invest in the stock market in Australia if they live in Australia because they suffer from home-based bias where they don't want to leave their own shores. So they never invest into international markets. They don't invest in China. They don't invest in the United States. They just invest in Australia. And of course, they'll say, it's the best investment ever in Australia, you know, because they're suffering from home-based bias or familiarity bias. Another example, I'll, I'll give you another example in stocks. So it happened to a friend of mine. He's like, Lloyd, what? tell me about GoPro. GoPro, the little thing you wear on your head, it, um, the little camera, it went public, right? They, they listed on the stock exchange. And of course, this friend of mine, he's like, hey, should I buy stocks? I think I'm going to buy stocks in GoPro. It's a wonderful product, a company. I'm like, ah. I don't know about that, man. And uh, and the reason he 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 struggled with um well the, sorry the reason why he wanted to do that is because he used the GoPro product every day, so he's familiar with it. Familiarity bias. He was he was like he understood it right. He understood the product, but it was a dreadful investment because it was a very copyable product, very easy to replicate. Didn't have a lot of brand equity. There's a various reasons why it wasn't a great business. Um, even though it's a cool product, it wasn't a great business, which means it wasn't an ideal investment because also it was an IPO, which means it was really expensive. So of course, what happened was the market corrected and it lost like 80% of its value in the next two years or something. So he thankfully, he didn't invest in it, but that's an example of home-based bias or familiarity bias that can get you in a lot of trouble. Only investing things because they're familiar to you without you having to do any proper research about really what the numbers stack up to be and what you're actually buying, all right? Does that make sense? So there you go, that's familiarity bias. There's two more biases left. So number six is called self-attribution bias, okay? Style bias. So this is, uh, how do I explain this one to you? It's basically how where people mistakenly think 
that it's just uh, how, how can I say it in, in financial parlance here? It's kind of where people think that the outcomes are based purely on their own skill um, and the things that have happened to them outside their control. That's just that, that's not that's got nothing to do with them. So it's like this. Um, it's where your your outcomes are basically a result of all the things you've done and there's no other external biases happening or external factors are applying to that it's quite a challenging one to explain it's it's not really a, a problem so much as as long as you know that your results are based on a model that you're using based on your own experiences and your own beliefs and your own training and that's whether so that 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 model will continue to happen unless you change something drastically in your approach. So I think it's just understanding that um, uh, it's like um, more or less where you have taken an approach to an investment, and you think that it's all your skill that's created the outcomes without taking on board the factor of luck and things outside your control that actually happened so where this can get you in trouble is that if you are not flexible with your approach as well you'll end up with like a whole portfolio of the same thing um, because you'll think it's just all you or your skill that's done that and i'll give you a great example that was quite a challenging one to explain but a good when i give you an example it'll make more sense like when i talk to people who are like say and it ha it's like with with it's a very common thing to happen with recency bias or sorry or home-based bias where people have invested in the same thing because it becomes a little bit familiar so i'll give you a great example of um of this bias okay this self-attribution bias it's where say you look at someone's portfolio and it's all mining stocks it's just all mining stocks because their whole investment model has been just the mining sector right and just small cap miners. That's the only skill. Like it's where they're focused. It's where they're based. They probably work in a mine, um, and so they've got a little bit of familiarity bias or home base bias coming in. But their whole outputs of their investments are based purely on the one input they keep putting in. Now, where this come becomes a problem is if you have your portfolio stacked towards one sector, right? Uh, and it can happen quite a lot if you are you work in a particular sector, right? This is why people who work in real estate buy real estate. Okay, so it goes hand in hand with familiarity bias, the self-attribution one, but it's just understanding like, you know, is, am I falling in the trap of just using the same model over and over again? And is that hurting my returns? Okay, so that's a good question to ask. Okay, the final psychological bias, okay, of investing is called chasing or trend bias. And chasing or trend bias, I did a podcast episode, if you go back, I did it on um, don't chase markets, right? So if you go listen to that, that's an example of trend bias or chasing bias, where you're only investing in something because it's trendy. And that's a really powerful bias. And that, that happens a lot. And what we call it is FOMO. Okay, that's the bias that's happening. When you're buying something just because it's trendy, you have to understand that you're suffering from a psychological bias called chasing or trend bias. How to get around that is to stop. If you feel it in your stomach that you're missing out, that's an emotional response. And that's going to really probably lose you a lot of money. Stop. Look at it, understand the valuation of it, understand the the growth potential, understand you know all these things about what you're buying here, and only make decisions based on the numbers and not your gut. Okay, I think that's the most important thing to combat chasing or trend bias. All right, so they're the seven psychology biases of investing, and I think now that you know them, you'll be self-aware of them. 
Unfortunately, we all suffer from them at different times. It's not something you can just be immune to. So I guess now that you're aware of them, the trick is to figure out and ask yourself, which biases am I suffering from right now? And is that really impacting my next step when I'm taking this you know, step to invest? And if the answer is yes, just understand that they're there and look at your investment from a numbers standpoint and, and a psychology standpoint and just figure out, is this appropriate? Okay, so that's all it's about. And I really wanted to do this episode because I think so many people suffer from these biases in such a drastic way that it actually hinders their investment results and it really just shoot they shoot themselves in the foot they end up you know losing a lot of money so i hope that's been a really effective episode for you um here on the podcast if you're enjoying this and you're liking it please do feel free to share this to your stories a lot of people share it to their instagram stories which is awesome i'll give you a reshare back to my feed you can get some followers um give us a five-star review particularly on spotify i think it's just click the star button on spotify click five stars that would be amazing trying to get to a thousand five-star reviews because our podcast is crushing it at the moment. It's awesome. So thanks so much for your support and refer this to a friend. Hey, click the share button, send these episodes out to people, go back and binge the episodes. We've done, I've done tons of episodes on like dividends and index funds and, um, you know, side hustles and there's heaps more coming, but there's so many, so many good episodes. We're a year in, Hey, we're a year into the podcast so far. We've had like 80 or 90,000 downloads. Crazy good. So, um, there's 52, there's a whole year worth of episodes to go back and, and check out. So make sure you do that. Um, and yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to bringing you the next episodes. They're going to be hopefully shorter than this one. But this one was really important to to really nail down for you guys. So I hope you've enjoyed it. And again, thanks for listening to Money Grows and Trees podcast. I'm Russ, and I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for joining us this week on the Money Grows on Trees podcast. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, Money Grows on Trees, which you can find at LloydJRoss.com. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, leave a review, and feel free to reach out to Lloyd on Instagram at LloydJamesRoss.